I thought it was a dating game. I was like, how is James Tarkovsky single? Turns out, like, he, this is his wife. So he's just being romantic to his wife, and you thought this was disgusting. Live every weekday morning from 7.30 on your smart speaker. Just ask Alexa to play OTB Sports Radio. OTB's The Hurling Pod. With Board Gosh Energy. Proud sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship. Very welcome along. It is the Hurling Pod with thanks to Board Gosh Energy, the proud sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship. We had a week back after a week off. Now we get ready for another week off again. Uh, but we had some interesting games in the weekend just gone by. Despite the fact that Cork saw their lead eaten away by Waterford, they held on for their first win of the campaign at Porky Cueve, coming out by a couple of points. Offley led 14-8 at halftime against Kilkenny, but Kilkenny blew them away in the third quarter of the game as they registered a 126-119 to victory. Uh, pretty much guarantees Kilkenny's spot in the top flight for next season. And Wexford remain unbeaten in Division 1A, despite the fact they had to go around the house with the free-takers after Lee Chin came off they held on for a draw in the end with Jack O'Connor who was released to play just 48 hours before the game when his suspension was taken away uh, getting the late score to get the equaliser as a finish 113 to 16 points at Wexford Park in 1B the results going as expected Limerick opening up at Croke Park bringing back a lot of their frontline players as they defeated Dublin by 3 goals and 30 points to 1 goal and 18 Tipperary got a bit of a late scare against Westmeath uh, they changed 14 players from their last game against Galway but held on in the end 325 to 2 goals and 21 and Galway opened up on Antrim at Corrigan Park winning by 235 to 113 very significant result in Division 2A as well uh, Carlo going back into the Leinster Championship this year having won the McDonough last year looks like they're going to be playing Division 1B hurling next season uh, they're in a strong position at the top of the table with a couple of games to go after they won away from home against their neighbours Leash by 123 to 21 points delighted to say to look back at the week that's been and all the rest of the hurling news as well we've got James Scale and Paul Murphy how are you getting on lads? How's it going lads? Very good how are you? I don't know how you feel Paul about this where we had our break we have one game we have a break again it's almost exactly the same as the, the Six Nations rugby and the breaks for the hurling falling on the same weeks as well like I don't know it's probably two games one game and two games how do you feel about having to go away now for another week when it just felt like it was getting back going again? Yeah like um, for it's hard to see the whole league just getting going because there are matches each team nearly has a match that particularly for the stronger teams that they're kind of um, what would you say they're the easier games or the games that don't really have a huge amount of, of, of competition in them so even with the breaks some of the games themselves are nearly serving as breaks anyway because you know teams are nearly getting to cruise through a game and we, we've seen it a few times so I suppose just the way that the teams are matched up and then also the, the way the breaks are dropping it is kind of it does have that stop start feeling of yeah we're getting a bit of momentum it's stopping again and we're looking at teams they're going cork at the first win over the weekend and you're going right you know here we go we're going to see a good cork performance following week but no there's a break so we get two weeks off but yeah it's a tricky one i'd say the panels are happy enough though at the same time because you are seeing teams pick up a few knocks and we've mentioned it in previous uh, pods as well like you know Stephen Bennett picking up a knock which you'd imagine was just through the strain of of the last few weeks we saw Keith Roster talking about Lee Chin as well coming off just because not necessarily he pulled anything, but just because he could feel the body telling him something could go here, which I know exactly what he's saying there. So um, I think the teams will welcome it. Um, get that bit of recovery into lads, see how lads are getting on, maybe you know try a few other things in the training field as opposed to on the field. Um, but for us as, as the neutral or as the spectator, yeah, it's a little bit stop-start. And we're kind of, like, I mean, at the same time, uh, we're not too far off championship as well. So, you know, it's it, it suddenly stop-start and in, into round robin so it'll kick off quick enough but um yeah i suppose it's uh that bit of momentum is just lacking there 
Mm, eight weekends away from championship. Before we get into anything else, Kel, you are the dedicated follower of fashion on this podcast. What did you make of Cork's jersey <laughs> that they wore against Waterford at the weekend? I'm the dedicated follower of fashion. <laughs> <laughs> when did we decide this? That's the first time in my life I've ever been kind of associated with fashion. <laughs> in all uh, the years I was Galway, right, you always used to get a player to represent the group to go pick the gear or pick mm-hmm. you know, the suits or whatever. Never once was I asked, so you can, so you know exactly that 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 statement is not true. Nor wanted so, to be asked, I'd imagine. Yeah, it was a handy way for me to get around to talk about the jersey. I but now, now you've yeah. brought me down a totally different rabbit hole here. So, who was the fashionable guy on the Galway panel? Because I'm led to believe from some of the Westmead lads that the most flash guy they have right now is Davy Glennon. So I don't know yeah. if he was the flash guy in the Galway panel as well, was he? Well, there, there's levels. Just like you couldn't let him near Anton because you'd be like the Liverpool team in '96, the FA Cup. You come, you come in a, in a white suit. You know, you try to pick someone. <laughs> who is kind of level-headed in that way has a bit of sense of style but also is not outlandish so he usually got landed with the likes of you know Kenning or David Burke or those guys who are who you can trust mm-hmm. then it goes in the complete reverse we left it to Colin Cannon one day and we were everything was black black train tops black it's just so like <laughs> his bland style I don't mind that colour shite <laughs> you know that's like, just so here you know it's training gear anyways I got into training gear. I forgot the question. Cork, sorry. <laughs> the Cork jersey. Um, look at Capitagra colours, red and black. I liked it. I can't complain about it, you know. So you, are you saying if, if your club were to get a shipment of this gear, you'd be happy enough with it? I didn't say that at all. I just said the colours I liked it. Today. I, I look at, for me, Cork's dominant colour is red. You know yes. what I mean? So And their and they're, they're secondary colour is white. If they're doing an away jersey, they're, 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 their secondary colour has to become the primary jersey. It's that, it's, it's that simple, right? The red and black it doesn't really go with GEA circles it goes against the grain entirely you know if it was a one-off commemorative jersey I'd say something fair enough it can be used for sales for, for a cause but if they're going to use it in the future again no no not for me yeah the, the design's not for me Murph to be honest yeah. it reminded me of the Ireland rugby jersey a couple of years ago which they said was different and people would buy it and I saw very few people actually buy it where mm-hmm. it was like highlighter colour and it looked yeah. like a tank had driven over it. Yeah. In this case, there's speckles of red and there's kind of lightning flashes and it looks more like a comic book top than an actual GA jersey. Yeah, well, to be fair, like uh, I, I was looking at it saying that I mean, Cork are in debt, like in, in, in terms of paying off, off the property. <laughs> so they have to do something. No, but in fairness, they have to, well, they have to do something. Like, and this is obviously, like, we often see inter county teams change their jersey every year, marginally. They change the color, they change whatever, but they know mm. the parents have to go out and buy the jersey for their young fella. Uh, this jersey was obviously more so for the younger clientele. You know, you're not going to see a lad maybe 40 years of age. No offense, lads maybe have bought them. But it's, it's aimed at the teenagers and stuff. It's aimed at like, I mean, you see a lot of young player or young teenagers and things um, wearing training tops and different different style, let's say Kilkenny gear, Galway gear. That's who it's aimed at. And like, that's obviously what Cork are trying to do at the moment. Now, I, I have to say as well, I played against a Cork team that wore a blue jersey one day. It was actually quite nice. It was that commemorative one mm-hmm. uh, down in Parky Rin uh, the evening. It was actually was good but um, look I suppose yeah it was a bit of a strange one it was actually hard to make out on telly until they zoomed in you couldn't see what it was uh, until it actually zoomed in a small bit but um, no it wasn't wasn't really my design but I understand what they're trying to do and you know I I think people would give out if they weren't trying to do something else to to generate a bit of revenue anyway so the other bugbear of mine in this one by all means wear this against Wexford Wear this against Galway. I know they're not playing Galway in the division yeah. this year, but wear it against a team where genuinely you could argue there's a bit of a clash against a maroon or against a purple in Wexford's case. Not when you're playing against a team who are wearing white. 
No, exactly. And like at home as well, you know, you, yeah. can, you can justify it sometimes when it's a away jersey. And I would say actually, yeah, probably just trying to think maybe Galway a little bit more. Um, if the conditions were bad, it would be it would be kind of hard to tell. But um, I don't think the colour that they actually went for would differentiate from Galway a whole lot if the conditions are that bad and trying to pick out players anyway. But um, yeah, I think away from home, like Galway do have an, a second one as well, don't they? They have something with like a bit of camouflage in it or something like that, don't they? That, that was that was like uh, under licence for commemorative purposes. You know, so that, oh, that, okay. was kind of, that was kind of a one-off. Right, um, right, and they do they do that one every kind of couple of years. Uh, but yeah, generally, yeah. our away jersey is uh, is is fully white. But wouldn't that be something similar though as well? If they do one every few years, it's kind of just to you know spark a bit of revenue as well. Like I mean, gotcha. yeah, yeah, and yeah. I love the way you say Corcoran did. Well, like I mean, every week we're talking about you know super value parky weave and different yeah. things. Like I mean, what you want everybody, me to do? To everybody, in Cork, go everybody in Cork, every man, woman, and child has to buy ten jerseys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, revelation of the night: uh, Cork have to service debt. So there you go. If you didn't know, now you do. Uh, <laughs> some of the correspondence before we uh, dig into the games. Uh, Stockroom Tim. Lads, you took that Clare stuff way too seriously. Every county is fellas like that. I'm from Clare and I can't fault anything you've said. Thank you. Uh, if we man. want people to be talking about us, then we'll have to pull the finger out in a semi-final and a final. Simple as that. So there you go. Yeah, fair play. That's him saying it. That's, uh, not from yeah. quite as nice a place. Mike Barry, 2461. God Loon. It's that time of year again. James Scahill on off the ball. What does God Loon mean? <laughs> I have no idea. That's I actually read that as well. I didn't know what that was. Yeah. Is that just a, an element of illiteracy? Or what, what is it? Like, is he... I'm, I'm not sure. I'd say it's a lo- my... local phrase. Maybe. Go back to Mike Barry 2461 and realise why he's missed about eight episodes that we already have uploaded from the pod so far this year. <laughs> um, Shane Power 2423. Two questions for the next pod, lads. I'll get two in for the price of one. What do you think success would look like for Waterford this year? Is it just to get out of Munster or even just win a game in the round robin, or can it be bigger than that? Being from their county, there still is some much positivity or hope from what I gather, and personally, I'm not a tactic of Davies working. So obviously we watch Waterford lose by a couple of points against Cork on, on Sunday afternoon. So for you guys, while I think about the second question, which is for me, uh, what does a good year look like for Waterford then? Murph, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I think getting out of the round robin, getting out of Munster, let's say, is... is um is a good year for Watford. Uh, like, you know, Watford are in a dangerous place where they could get stuck in a bit of a rut while, this, like, you know, they do have good players there and they're capable if they get their act together. Um, and, you know, I've shown flickers of it in, in different games, but have shown no consistency or, again, to go back to that word, a bit of momentum. Um, so considering how competitive Munster is, for this Watford team to put themselves in the top three in Munster, that means, you know, two really good teams have also lost out there. That, I think, is where Watford need to be, which, you know, it, it, it's a long way from, I'd say, if this time two years ago when we when we were on this podcast, we were talking about they were probably the team to beat Limerick with the size of their panel. So to go to, to, to here now to say that getting out of Munster is a good year for Watford, it's, it, it shows how far they've come in that time. So um, I don't think maybe winning a round-robin game, I think any team can go and maybe you know, overturn another team in any given day. And they're not that far away that winning one round-robin game is so outlandish. But I think being consistent enough to get out of Munster, I mean, getting out of Munster means winning two, really, I suppose, just going by Cork last year. Um, you know, really having to get two games, um, one, uh, and see after that, see what other way results go. But I think realistically, that's, I mean, if I, I know we'll get to the championship um, 
picks in the next few weeks, but they wouldn't be in my top three at the moment, obviously, to come out of Munster. So to turn that around, I would feel that's a good year for Waterford. Hmm. Just before you give yours, Scal, just to give an update on where the Waterford injuries are at. So the next day, they expect they'll have Ian Kenny, Erla Daly, Jack Fagan, Shane Bennett, Patrick Fitzgerald, Desi Hutchinson against Wexford, which is coming up on Sunday week. Tyg de Burka, outside chance have been involved in that game. Stephen Bennett looks like he's going to miss the rest of the National League uh, because he's had a hamstring injury, which is against Clare in the second round. It looks like they're not going to take any risks. So that's a lot of players still to come back in. Uh, assuming they've got all those players back for championship and injuries don't get added on, Skell, where do you see Waterford going or what's a good Waterford year to answer Shane's question? Yeah, look, I, I'm not quite as positive about, about their you know, their chances as Murphy's like, you know, it was interesting. I was down in Parky Creek yesterday for the, we were playing the Trinity Challenge and as the game ended, one of the backroom team for Waterford was running out setting up, obviously. And he turns to me and says, would you go easy on, on the podcast tomorrow? You're very harshness, like, you know. <laughs> it's like, she said, no. I said, you have to win the game first, you know. Uh, but for me, like, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I think if they win a game and don't get the wooden spoon, that's not too bad, less. You know, from, from coming from where, where they were last year, if you ask me, or where, where they're going, you know what I mean? Um, it's hard for me to see them beating Clare. It's, it's it's hard for me to see them beating uh, Limerick and Tipperary and Cork I, if they come away with a game without the wooden spoon that's not too bad if they get out of the group that's huge success that's that's massive success because we see how hard it is to come out of the group in the first place for even the you know who, who we class as juggernauts Limerick if you, you cast your mind back to some of the results last year if they win you know, a point to another way Limerick are potentially knocked out so getting out of Munster is, no, is you know is, is, is no easy task so if they do that that's hugely successful if they, if they avoid the wooden spoon um, you know that's that's a, a step in the positive direct, in the right direction, and ultimately, I think any kind of uh, I suppose with their interviews, articles, whatever his I, I hear around Watford, they're 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 really not there's not really filled with optimism. Do you know what I mean? They're just looking for they're, they're cravings for a bit of positivity, just something to go well. You know, because what happens when when you have you know people in in, in management, they have it, it creates a bit of hysteria, a bit of chaos, you know, etc. And sometimes negativity. So I think there's people who want a bit of positivity. Get a run if they win a game or two. Fabulous! It's come out of Munster. That's that's a great year. Mm. Look, yeah, we've talked about this before, but again, I was looking at David Fitzgerald's quotes from after the game yesterday afternoon, and he said, and I'm going to use the word effing as opposed to what was actually said on these quotes. He said, "Quote: I thought we should have gone in level or one up, and then we effing go down to ten. I'm so proud of the boys, though. If that was over the last five or six years and at different times they're going down 10, then they go down 15 or they go down 20. They aren't hanging on at 10. They were going down more. I think you saw the fight that's in them today. I'd say there were four or five wides that will kick ourselves over. Then he was asked why Waterford were slow out of the traps at the start of the second half. He said, I don't effing know. We tried to say there isn't a problem, that we're imagining it, but we're not. It happened in the Offaly game. It happened in the Clare game. And it happened again today. I don't know why, and we're just going to have to go back and sort this out. So I don't know, Paul, whether this is again the classic talking down again, because you go back to when Waterford won the National Hurling League a couple of years ago. He's talking about the last five or six years they would have just shipped a beating. Yet that Waterford team was handing out a few beatings at this time of the year two years ago. Oh, yeah, the first the first thing I thought when I read that was uh, I don't remember Cork being or not Cork Watford being bet by twenty or twenty five points in the last five or six years. I don't. I, I, I nearly. I could be wrong, and I'm sure maybe someone will correct me, but I don't remember that. Um, the and I, game in the round robin, maybe that ended up somewhere like that, didn't it? Twenty or twenty five was it? The, do you remember the Clare game? You were at it, Skell, in the round robin. Do you remember when they got absolutely? That was the most championship. Yeah, most championship. Yeah. You might check that scale while we're talking then. You check that score there. You fact um, check it, but... Uh, you fact, been, you, yeah. Uh, it like, wouldn't have been too many, though. 
No, there wouldn't have been too many. And I think it's 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 very broad stroke to say about the team. Like in fairness, he is giving credit to them, and, and I think everybody did. They came back really well in the second half, down by 10 points, league match, down below in Parky Cueve. You know, he could drop the head and just let the game peter out, but they came back at them, and they did have a chance to right. win it, you know, from, from that opposite scale, 12. Yeah, 12 points, but it was, it was okay. 331 to clear to 222. Yeah, so again, I think it's just one of these comments that, again, like, he can't just let it pass by. Like, I mean, he can't just throw out a statement like that saying, I think this team five or six years ago, because we mentioned a few times that Davy thrown back into other managers' time with Watford, uh, which I don't think is a fair thing to do. You can reference the team from a few years ago, but uh, as if it, it seems to be that he's referencing that, you know, their mental strength has come on leaps and bounds. With, I don't think it has. You know, if anything, it's just flatlined to a degree. Like they've they've had disappointing results over the last few years. Yeah, that that that's for sure. But they haven't. I mean, Watford haven't been one of those teams shipping twenty twenty five points from my memory, or that you'd associate with that. So, like it, it, that becomes nearly the distraction there. Like if I I just try to put myself in the Watford's players' boots to hear that go. You know, I, I'd be thinking that the manager would be coming out saying. Yeah, look, we were disappointment, uh, disappointed in the second half. The start of the second half, we were only appointing at a half time. You know, letting going out to 10 is, is very disappointing. But, you know, we pulled it back and, you know, that's all you have to say. But kind of casting your mind back to five years ago to something that didn't happen where they're beaten by 20 or 25 points. I mean, it's, I don't know, it just seems counterproductive to what you're actually trying to do to the team at the time. Um, but look, I, I mean... That thing is a bit of a spin, like... I, I think it's a spin yeah, to try and, and change the narrative around the team to say that it's more positive than it actually is. Mm. Oh yeah, you know, completely. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like the, what's what's happened in the last maybe eighteen months of his tenure is is, is has has been a graph of improvement as opposed to the previous management team. Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, me, yeah. It's it's complete notable bullshit. To be honest, you know, mm. like they got if you go back to twenty twenty, like they contested Ireland final, Munster final, beaten by four points, just checked there. They had a relatively yeah. good a good run. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yes, it petered out. Fair enough, right? But like the history of this manager, all these teams peter out at the end of his tenures. You know what I mean? I just think it's disingenuous. Like, and if mm. when you when you dive into the game, let's say, which which after those comments, I had to dive into it. You know, a lot of the of Watford's problems stemmed from the from their tactical setup. Yeah. You know, yes, there was a bit of a fight. Yes, there is the, the fight levels they increased as the game kind of went on in the second half. But a lot of their issues stemmed from what way they were set up and how they were going to go about the play. And once they actually mm. changed that, you know, they got started to get better. Dig into, that, dig into that a bit because Shane Dowling did a very I thought a very good piece both on the puckouts and yeah. how open how open Waterford were when Cork ran through them a few times during the game including the goal so what did you see tactically about the setup okay. that left them vulnerable so we'll stick with me here now okay yeah, yeah. I have to paint a picture here right so if you imagine right where most teams now they'll set up on a puckout they'll have their own full back line on the 21 their own half back line around the 45-50 and so on and so forth right so when Waterford you know Push up way further than that. So on on the on the on, who's got the goal? Jack Connor got the goal, right? Mm-hmm. So on his goal, like see, he has uh, that's a Waterford book out, right? There's two lads inside their forty-five, two Waterford players. There's three inside the forty-five to sixty-five. Okay, so that's five players inside the sixty-five. There's four between the sixty-fives, and there's five inside the far forty-five, right? So what, what you have what you have now is all your Waterford team is pushed up, way up, way up in an advanced position, okay? And the minute that ball goes long, right? What you have straight away is a numerical disadvantage where, where the ball lands. Because if you because you because obviously there's, there's more water players closer to your own goal than there is cockless. So you've got a numerical disadvantage straight away. That's what happens. I think Mark Coleman wins the secondary possession on an eight on seven situation, okay? And then what happens is he hands the ball to Jack Connor. And because it's a four on four straight away, four cork and four Waterford lads, 
with with 65 square yards, more 65 yards and 65 uh, width and breadth, it's impossible for any water defender to get a finger on Jack O'Connor because if he commits, it's just a pop pass that's straight through. So Jack O'Connor comes right through the middle and the defenders, they're, they're caught in no man's land in fairness to them because they don't have the cover. They have to stick with their own men. If they commit, Jack O'Connor passes and then the next man scores a goal. So the setup was horrendous. So if you're, if, you're, if you're doing that right and you're putting ball into a zone where you don't have an American advantage, you're only asking for trouble. And like if you look at the, the, the first four minutes of the second half, it was six shots to nil in favour of Cork, including the goal chance, you know, and it all contributed, it was all because of the way Watford set up. Now, when they go 10 points down, they pull it back and they start going short pookouts. They push up on Cork and Cork start going long pookouts and the whole game starts to change. Do you know what I mean? Because Watford changed to a possession-based game where they controlled the ball as opposed to landing into an area where they thought they had control. Do you know what I mean? And they had no control whatsoever. And then you, did, then you didn't allow Cork to go a possession game. Then you changed Cork around to do what, what Watford were doing and it started working in his favour. It was that simple. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, even from, from, from the goalkeeper's perspective, it's a hard position to be in looking out going, there's no options here, like, and then still having to go stick with this perceived system. And it's just point after point after point. And like, it wasn't that difficult to, to dissect. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. it, it was fairly apparent when, when the high behind camera went on the goals, you could see after one or two errors, this is the problem. You know, fix it now. But it took them, what was it, Les? Was it 60 minutes? You know, Wherever it was by the time they, they got uh, the, the 57 minutes when Prindergast got the point by the time they actually got going again. You know what I mean? Yeah. So hmm. hopefully I explained that in good, in good state. Oh, no. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll now take questions with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, like to throw this one over to Murph because you can give us a, you know, a cornerback's perspective or someone who's played in the halfback line as well. It's like, how frustrating is that when you see O'Connor coming straight through the middle and there's nobody able to get near him and he runs pretty much from his own 65 to the point where he hits the shot? Yeah, uh, like I, I was actually listening to it on the radio at the time and uh, Marty Morrissey was saying that uh, one of the best calls of the season. Now, I, I completely understand what he was saying. He's like, one of the best calls of the season. He's after weaving through so many lads and hung it up. Even when I saw the first shot of it then when he ran from midfield, I was like, geez, that's impressive. Yeah, but as Gail was saying there, it was the shot behind the goal. As soon as he got the possession of the ball and the, the shot behind the goal shows you what he was looking at. I think he actually looked up and went, oh, Jesus, I'm, I have to run a goal here because it's wide open. There was literally a straight line from him on 65 straight through into the keeper, which that can't happen. Uh, and then also from a cornerback's point of view, as you're asking, you're damned if you do or damned if you don't. You're now four on four. You go running because the man behind, I think it was Caleb Lyons, was behind um, Jack O'Connor. You know, where he's behind him, but he can't, unless he gets a hook, you're, you're really rolling the dice there. You need someone to come at him. So you use a cornerback, if you run at him, overlap, you're done anyway. So it, it's one of these situations where the structure, um, when the structure fails further out the field, usually the fellas that it fails is the full back line because they get isolated and then they're overlapped. So in that situation, you know, when you could see that there was just wide open gaps coming through, it was inevitable it was gold, but it was amazing that it came from such a simple thing that, you know, so many players committed to between the 45 and the 65. One ball lands, a hand pass, and that there's straight through and goal from the 65. That's That to me says alarm bells there, that there shouldn't be a straight track through and goal from your own 65 after your puck out. You know, if you look at even any of the other teams from the weekend, there's no scenario there where a ball broke from their own puck out that was in the other team's half that you could say there was a straight run through and goal. So the systems that are being played here um, are meant to be in Waterford's favour, but they're actually coughing up uh, like uh, chances that shouldn't be there for the opposition. And that's just one of the examples there. And that's something I'd definitely be looking at if I was part of the Waterford panel to say, look, whatever we're trying here, if it gets turned over, like we're, we're wide open at the back. So that was like from a back's point of view, it, I mean, it's a nightmare stuff. 
Yeah, we'll take a bit more on uh, Cork Water for the moment. I don't want to forget uh, the second part of Shane Power's question, which was specifically for yourself, Will, with Murph and Scale having their player romances over Johnny Glynn and Mikey Butler. Um, and b- by the way, a member of a backroom team from a county, I'm not going to out them here, but they said they were in New York recently and they heard that Johnny Glynn is more likely to play for Galway this summer than he is to play for New York. So they were really questioning Glynn actually being down as a New York player. So <laughs> more, more, more and on if he comes back to play for Galway. But um, that was the inside scoop that I got. This is a, a member of a backroom team who does quite a bit of driving and listened to all three of our pods when he was on the road last week. So, uh, Thank you. so there you go. That's getting through a lot of content. Uh, who is your secret hurling romance? Well, presumably an awfully player. Uh, so there's a few players I like again I don't know whether this has to be a current player or whether this has to be a former player well, both we'll go one of each yeah. one of each alright so the lads are basically going for um, what to go for players from their own county so why not stick with Offaly players here so if it's going to be a former Offaly player I went through a few different periods right so Brian Whelan is just like up there he's like the Michael Jordan of Offaly hurling it's too mm. obvious that can't be a romance so I think I, I think I might guess your one sorry to go across but go, go on, on, have, go on. Go have a guess go on have a guess go on I think Johnny Pilkington I think you like Johnny Pilkington oh it's close I do like Johnny P but okay. it was two other players that I really liked from that era right so Johnny Dooley was the big hero because ah, he yeah. was the guy who scored the free in the the 94 final and he was such a kind of stylish hurler as well apparently Henry Shefflin was a massive Johnny Dooley fan as well when he was growing up mm. player that was probably my kind of folk hero and he's better than being a cult hero but just because of the flicks the tricks and everything else uh, John Troy it's John Troy yeah, yeah so absolutely. I remember a few years back he was managing the Offaly Camogie team obviously John had been out of hurling for quite a while at the time and whatever else and at one point we were chatting away a stray ball just came high in the air and John just plucked the hurl that he was leaning on while we were chatting up into the air and he took it down perfectly in one fluid motion and just put it down put the ball down between his legs so that just went to show his touch even probably 10 years out of Intercounty was still Mm -hmm. absolutely immaculate and yeah I used to love the Troy flick. I used to love all the different skills that he did and that he could execute them like at such a high level. And then you mm. talk to lads who were on the same panel as him and lads who used to room with him and stuff. And Sir John was like mad. He'd be going out in the tear and he'd be having the crack and he'd be smoking cigarettes. Like just a player from a different era mm. but skills to pay the bills. So for that reason, John Troy is there as like the kind of... pay the bills. Yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. a real yeah. off the ball phrase, surely. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, like from, Rob from the rugby lads, surely. I can hear, I can hear the excitement in your voice when talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> right, so John Troy, John Troy is amazing. Right now, yeah. uh, nice. I, I put... Ben Keneally on the team last week when we were picking the one from every county uh, but the one that really stands out for me and he scored a goal at Nolan Park at the weekend just gone by is mm. Charlie Mitchell who yeah. has just come on so much in the last 18 months or so always had talent would never have doubted that but he seems to have this real drive to keep on improving and for the younger players who are coming through at the moment he is the template for them because he's put on a good bit of muscle his work rate has gone up and up and up and he's also very very talented so yeah, I think at the moment, Charlie Mitchell, another player I really like, put his bloody arm out to get broken in the Joe McDonough final last year with Dave Nally. And Dave Nally also won the best sideline takers in the country. So of the current lads, like Charlie Mitchell, like David Nally, and we'll put John Troy as the kind of cult hero there. So hopefully that answers uh, Shane's question fairly there as we get back to Cork here. So ah, we mentioned the comeback scale uh, during the game. So obviously Cork would be disappointed having that period where... Uh, Cork run off seven or sorry Waterford run off seven out of eight scores and it gets back to a, a three point game at one stage 119 to 116 when really Cork should have had them completely beaten now they put over a couple of points themselves Joyce Connolly stick over points which just kind of gave them a bit of a buffer again 
But I'd say there must have been some thoughts within that core camp of here we go again, having lost two other tight games already. Yeah, like I, I thought your man um, Saunderson, the keeper, did fairly well. Like for a young lad, you know, mm-hmm. we, we we'll talk about after now in a while about the twenties and and give them, you know, kudos for the performances. But it, it's hard for him to come in, you know, into a, a spot coming from the sixteen, taking a, a, feel like a, a temporary position because Patrick Collins is the number one there. But he did very well for like 55, 60 minutes. But from some of his striking choices at the end, let's say I, I thought contributed to Cork's, you know, um, or Sir Watford's comeback. So. I thought when Cork played the ball short and started running at Washford, like Washford couldn't really deal with it. So what Cork were doing was they were working the ball out from position number one up to let's say eight or nine, then delivering into the forwards, and there was just there was so much space and and lateral running that Washford couldn't do anything with it. When that kind of stopped, you know, and it became more of a battle, call it a 50-50 battle, like long ball. That's where Cork started to lose kind of the the, the rooks, the fights, and and then Watford started plugging away. And I just think it was a game management thing whereby if your team pints up, you you can't really let a team back. You know, without conceding a goal, let them back in at all. You know, if you concede one or two goals, fair enough. They come back in quick succession. But if you get a team that's, that can consistently get a run, yeah, point after point after point and not stem the tide, that's probably a, a slight slight bit worrisome. But I am putting a bit of value on the fact that he did put in some some, some debutants yeah, in, in against you know, relatively tough, tough opposition and they did see it out. So it's as simple as that. They, they, they weren't beaten. You know, they weren't caught fully. Um, there's things to work on. It is February. So like they'll go back into probably a video analysis room over the course of the next week. They'll pinpoint areas where they can improve and then try to get that improved on the next game. But ultimately, they'll they look at their game and they'll say that they were quietly content with the way they, they opened water up a good, a good few times. They should have had more goals, to be honest. Jack O'Connor could have had a couple of more you know, with all the, the chances they, that they created. And um, they've got some guys that are playing well. It's good to see Mark Coleman playing well. You know, like, and like there's, all, there's, a, there's always a space for a big man there to square. So when you see Hayes, or sorry, Hayes, Hayes there, you know, the, the bit of probably commotion, he could, he could, you know, create, like it goes back to the days where you, if you remember, Jesus, uh, Satanta, Isaacio helping and what was your man? He was a brute of a man that used to be full forward. Give me the name or if you'll know him. Michael Cousin. Michael Cousin. Jesus, what a size of a man. I swear to my, God. My, my dream my dream was years ago. I said, Jesus, if I caught a ball over Michael Cousin, that'd be it. I'd just walk off the field and retire. That'd be unbelievable. Yeah, he, used to, he used to be in there full forward and like it was like, I remember when you'd be playing Cork and Michael Cousin would be come on or he started, but like there was like this effect, you know, when you bring on a player and it's like, right, here he comes now. And Michael Cousin would win, yeah. regardless who he's marking, like, it looked absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. He, he, must been, he must have been 6'6 six, six or 6'7. Six, yeah, yeah. Six, nice fella. Man, when he stood beside me, and I was looking, I, I was looking up to him, going, you, "You are a behemoth, right?" That's how we <laughs> feel with you, Scarlett. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have you scared though after the after the night. Like, oh, lovely. <laughs> You'll be scared forever. Any time I meet you, and you go on. Is Custer guard though? I don't I know. He's, Jesus, he's a big guard. Why you thought he was a guard? Yeah. I, I, I'm up to correction. Yeah, but um, my point being is, there's still a, there's still a place for the big man in the square. So oh, it's yeah. good to see the likes the likes of Cork. Cork have have been. You know, probably attributing uh, fast, speedy forwards to say in, mo- in most positions over the last number of years, and now they have the Robbie O'Flynns and the Hayes and Barretts, all these guys coming in, adding a bit of size. So, I, I, we said just a couple of weeks ago they were a team to watch, and I stand by it. Hmm. They're getting that blend there as well. So, as you mentioned, Breen Saunderson played in the goals. Uh, they had Young McCarthy playing cornerback, and then Damon Cahillan, Seamus Harney come in. A couple of the more experienced heads were also still around the forwards as well. So, um, yeah, I guess look, they're trying to find that blend at the moment. And now they've got their win and they've got it kind of up and running. It's interesting to see as well, Murph, that Billy Nolan is still playing outfield for Waterford this season. 
It is, yeah. Um, was a Tipperary game last year in Thurless, I think it was, that he came out the field. It could be wrong on that one, but... Um, I, like, it felt at the time that was down to needing a player to step into a role, while now mm-hmm. they've got all their players around and it feels like they see Nolan as a halfback within the team. Yeah, it seems to be something that they're going with. Um, he, I, I do believe he does play outfield with the club as well, so mm-hmm. it's it's not unheard of either. Um yeah, like I mean, it's it's maybe not that crazy. Like Richie Reid used to play in goal for us, um, and he's now the centre back for for Kenny for you know, and nobody questions it. Like I mean, he is holding the fort there. So um, like Owen Murphy as well. I'm only thinking of examples I know myself. Like Owen Murphy, centre back for his own club. I think there's maybe an understanding there as well that like goalkeepers often are looking out the field at players, and you know, they, I, I, like Skettle will comment on this maybe a bit better, but. Because I suppose you're standing back from the game at times, you can maybe see things that are happening and see where lads constantly keep making the same mistakes, particularly at a centre back. Maybe they drift out and leave a big gap there, whatever it may be. So I often find the goalkeepers actually have a really good understanding, particularly in that middle area, because they're observing the game so much and they see so many maybe positional mistakes from players, or maybe they see players who hold the fort in a certain way that. Uh, if they were in the same position that, you know, they would do that, this is the type of player I would be. But Billy Nolan, look, maybe there's just there's something seeing him there that he gets on ball, he, you know, maybe spreads it out very well and, and moves the ball around the field very well. But it's something they seem to be sticking with. And they seem to maybe want to, I suppose, force it home that this is, he's now not considered a goalkeeper anymore, that this is where he's going to be playing. Uh, and Davey wants to persist with it. You know, he wants to find some sort of use from out there. So, like, I mean, again, I'm going back to the Tipperary game last year when they threw him out and people were looking at what was this. He actually was involved in the game. You know, straight away, there was no there was no hangover. There was no kind of, right, I'm out the field now, what am I doing? So, you know, certainly I think if he gets a bit of traction, he could be effective. But look, like we're saying, it looks like it's something that Davey's not going to give up today or tomorrow. Right, Skell, mm. defends the intra-county goalkeeper here and the skills that are required. And it's not just a case of an outfielder can stand between sticks or a goalkeeper can go out and play outfield. Um, why are we seeing so many players that can do a bit of both now? Is this, what's, what is it with the skill set? I have to go back. Skill set is one thing, but I have to go back to what Murph said about um, you know assessing the game. So, we, so we, when we're playing the game, the goalkeeper's like, we're not marking anyone. That's pretty obvious, right? So but we're, we're reading the game the whole time. We're trying to anticipate where the ball is going or what, what kind of kind of tactical moves opposition are going to do. So we spend a lot of our time nearly breaking down the opposition, if that makes sense, right? So Billy Nolan, I don't, I don't see him uh, occupying a prototypical position, marking someone. I can't see that. I can, the only way I see him being outfield for Waterford, if, if he's in kind of a plus one or a sweeper role where he has free reign to, to read the game and get on the ball, being out ball for a Waterford defender and then start an attack. I just can't see him, you know, in, in six or seven weeks' time, shifting up at number seven, marking, you know, Tom Morrissey. I just don't see that. Um, and I, I think if that, if that does materialise where he is doing that, that, that role, that's a problem for Waterford, you know, to be honest, because, uh, I, I don't think he's as good as the Watford backs. It's that simple, you know. So if he, but if he's positioned in a sweeper role where he's at the top of the D and he's moving laterally left and right, picking up loose ball, cutting out attacks, all for it because he's obviously a clever hurler, you know. Um, but there's levels to this shit, like there's levels to this shit. You know what I mean? Like we're asking him to do. You, you would go out there, ask him to take on a clear forward line or Limerick forward line. You know, man to man. That's not going to be very easy. If you adopt a seven man system in the, in the backs, fine. I'll go, I'll go with that. You know. Um, but I can't see a situation whereby like some of the water defenders barring injury, you know, would lose out lose out in a starting position to, to, to Billy. No, that's that's no disrespect at all. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That that's this case for with respect every intercounty goalie at the moment. You know, I can't see any of them marking anyone. I don't think anyone has the skill set is one thing, but the actual the athleticism, the fitness that, that some of the outfield players and the backs have nowadays is, is not to be laughed at. Mm. 
Okay. Uh, it was a Jack O'Connor kind of weekend in Division 1A. So Jack O'Connor of the Wexford variety uh, got the late score at the end, uh, which saw them draw against Clare. So Wexford are kind of tipping along. So a draw against Kilkenny, a draw against Offaly, and now a draw against Clare. They remain unbeaten so far. Uh, you had Clare trailing by a point at half time, uh, despite playing with the wind. So it was uh, Wexford 1-6, Clare 8 points at half time. Then... Clare had a good run within the game itself. And then Mark Rogers pops over a point at the end of normal time. Looked like they were about to get the win. 16 points to one goal in 12. And then O'Connor comes on to get the lay point, which gives him the draw. The thing, before we talk about the game itself, that baffles me somewhat here, is that I think it was Friday evening, the ruling had come down that Jack O'Connor had won his appeal. I think all of us agreed last week that it was a very tough call on him to get the red card in the Offaly game before the break, where himself and the Offaly midfielder David King are kind of having a pull at each other, and O'Connor puts his hand out and seems to catch the top of the helmet, maybe the top of the face guard. By the letter of the law, it is a red card, but it was decided on appeal that the infraction couldn't be proved that he had deliberately grabbed the face guard. To me, the most bizarre part about this is that David King, who didn't have any action against him during the game, as part of the disciplinary, got suspended. So he got upgraded to a red card from no offence and Jack O'Connor got downgraded from red card to none. Yeah. Makes uh, sense. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, at the time we were saying though that we think David King, like obviously he did have more of a, a hold on Jack O'Connor and that's what kind of instigated the whole thing. But I don't think there was any big public outcry for David King to get a suspension. Right. It seemed to just kind of come in left the field to go, oh Jesus, actually he's gone as well. I think all the focus was on, right, Jack O'Connor and we'll, we'll just, right, is, is he getting off it or is, is it sticking? And then out of nowhere, side stage enters David King's suspension so unfortunate for him um, but I think if we were to go back and we we're going into the moment and we were to say right show you the moment one of these players getting sent off you would be I would be saying David King though I wouldn't be saying Jack O'Connor because Jack O'Connor okay he does kind of get narked and he swings the hand back and he maybe just catches the top of the helmet but who out of the two players who has the face card grabbed it's, it's David King but uh, yeah I just don't think any of us were expecting that to come true on the, on the appeal it was, just a, it was just a quirky thing to happen at the appeal. Like, mm. I think I said to you at the time, because we were even chatting on the night that it happened, I was like, so for me, it's either no red or two reds. Um, yeah. Because of the way the two guys tangled with each other. And then the bizarre part was, like, I had no problem necessarily with Jack O'Connor getting off on this. And I see a lot of people are saying that, you know, he grabs it, it's a red card offence, and so therefore he deserved the suspension. But I kind of thought mitigating factor was that there's another player pulling at his helmet at the same time. He mm. possibly doesn't even see what he's doing, and he reaches his hand out. No problem with O'Connor getting away with it, but to me it seemed a bit mad that even though he wasn't part of the process necessarily, David King ends up getting suspended, which was, there you go. So he wasn't able to play against uh, Kilkenny in the game that was played yesterday. But in the end, it finishes up a draw. And the issue for Wexford coming out of this one, Skell, and Joe Canning talked about this a bit on League Sunday, is that they had to go around various free-takers after Lee Chin was taken off in the 25th minute. And the free-taking was inconsistent that has been a problem for Wexford that wasn't today or yesterday. Um, without Chin there, there is a free issue, isn't there? Uh, there is, but like even even when we're talking about them over last year and we were doing the kind of the championship projections, we would have said that a perceived you know weak area for for Wexford would have been their free taking. You know, like the re- when we say weak now, we're not talking about them being poor. We're saying that the the percentages that they produce, let's say, it might be sixty five, seventy percent, whereas the top teams, you know, the TJs and and Evan Islands, will be producing. And get lands 95 percent, and so from from a management perspective, when games are tight, that's critically important, you know. So like if you've got, this, uh, we would always say like if you've got a good goalie and a good free taker, you're halfway there. 
because if you can stop goals going in and you can take the, the points that you're given in terms of freeze, you know, you're, 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 that means you're taking every opportunity given to you. So it's a problem. Like if I, I watched uh, League, League Sunday, the, the, the crammed version. Um, if you, and, and I think it was, a, it was a Shane or Joe starting naming a few free takers. And I was trying to go back through, through, the, through the record books in Wexford and I was saying, when was the last time they had a, a legitimate top class free taker? And I have to go back as far as Paul Cudd. Do you know what I mean that? I'm going back that far. Like, and he was like, he wasn't. He, he was a bit, a bit, a bit like Land, you know, a left-sided player, let's say, kind of an unorthodox um, style. But like, he was popping them. And then as you go in, from from then into the present time, it, it's it's hard to see or remember. Now we probably will be open to correction when we throw these kind of statements, right? So I worked for Huller, who was consistently hitting 90 percent, and it is an issue. It's a, it's it's a problem area, you know. And now we have an injury to to, to Chin, and like in fairness to Casey, he did, did very well yesterday. You know, uh, was had, had a had a fine performance, but when there's game on the line situation, you know, and you want it done, um, and it's missed, you know, I, I think if you put the same free in front of you know T. Jergalan, that's a white flag, and that's a victory for that for that for that team. So that's an area for work on. How we fix it, I don't know. It's, they often talk about frees being a, being a confidence team. that say if you can get free takers going into a, a good mindset with the confidence, it'll start rolling. So maybe just pick one person and tell them because these are your barren injury, of course. The freeze are yours. Hell or high water, stick with them and just go at it. You know, um, who knows how bad how bad Shane's injury is? And if he is the man, stick with it. It looks like he will be, but it's definitely an area for concern. Yeah, I, I think if everyone's fit and they have Rory O'Connor for those kind of closer ones, leech in for the mid distance, and let Fanning hit the really long distance ones. They're probably okay, but it's an issue when, say, Chin or O'Connor aren't there. And there have been various times where even Lee Chin hasn't hit the freeze perfectly, and you're just thinking they could do with a specialist pre-taker out there. Um, so it has been has been a problem for quite some time. On the injuries, uh, Keith Roster said after the game that they lost Lee Chin after 27 minutes. He said, "Quote: He felt a muscle problem. Lee knows his own body, so he decided to come off." It's only February, so there was no point in risking them further. Now, that would indicate to me it's probably not that bad. And they lost Kevin Foley to an injury early in the game. And he said, again, it looks like it's his knee, but it's too early to know the extent of the injury. He said he was unable to run the injury off. So, obviously, they want Kevin Foley and Lee Chin fit for championships, so they're not going to take any risks can at I, this stage. But Can I yeah, ask you, this, when you watch the game and say, is it just me or did Lee Chin look excessively big? He, he's definitely put on some muscle in the post. Does it look like he's gone to a size that, like, let's say... Um, you know, it's going to be hard to, I won't say maintain, but hard to carry and come to hurling. Or am I just, uh, am I reading things wrong here? Sometimes the jersey can give a different perception or change of helmet or whatever it is, you know. But I was looking at him yesterday going, geez, you are, you're up here. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? That's what it looked like. Am I wrong? Yeah, well, he did do a yoke with Andrew Porter lately. And uh, yeah, he was, he was actually bigger than Andrew Porter in, in many, well, he's, he's taller than him, certainly. But I mean, they were, they were very well matched up in terms of broadness and, uh, uh, and size so yeah he's a big man like I mean he's not going to be lacking anything certainly there's no, no player going to push him around yeah but no I, I, I know what you're saying like um, picking up niggles and carrying that carrying that sort of muscle you know far be it for me to say about Lee Chin but I, I would have noticed it at times when if I went back after my 30s and you were trying to build that muscle again or you know carry that muscle that's where niggles kind of maybe occurred and Look again, sports scientists may have one argument about maintaining strength and, and size and so on, but like at the same time, you know, if you're at a time of your career where potentially the body could break down a small bit, having excess muscle on that may cause issues. I don't know, but um, do, you, do you think like when I think of certain players in a couple of codes, I think of Keen Lynch, like he got very, very big and had problems with the hammers, you know, 
Mm. The year before last, you know, look at like even Keith Earls, he had issues. Robbie Hinch had issues. You know, that different yeah. sports, albeit, but sometimes players get to to a size whereby their body just can't can't cater for anymore, so they have to kind of slim down a bit. I'm yeah. just wondering, is this is this is this a contributing factor to injuries for Lee? Yeah, you know, yeah, because he's, he's a supreme athlete. But like, does he does cause, does he need to cut back four or five kilos, and then hopefully the injuries will subside a bit? You know. Yes, yeah, sure. It could be a point. Like, I mean, there could be a, a, a burden on the body there, and that's why he's picking up niggles. Like, I mean, if you look at, I suppose, players who are a bit longer, like Patrick Horgan, TJ, you know, they're not carrying big muscle. You'd wonder, does that facilitate them? Maybe not, uh, I suppose, picking up those niggles and picking up strains as well, that the, their frame isn't carrying that that excess muscle. So, look, it's interesting. Like, I mean, uh, we had Sean Flynn on there a few weeks ago. Like, it'd be interesting to have a sports scientist as well have any observations. Like, in some sports like rugby, it's nearly unavoidable. Like, you need, yeah. you need to have that muscle. In hurling, you know, you can get a, like, you don't need, you don't need to be that big either. Like, you know, but... Um, again, but you look at, you know, look at Donahue for Cork. I mean, look at Sean Finn, Mike Casey. They're huge men, like, as well, at the mm-hmm. same time. So, like, if you look at the Limerick team, the majority of those lads are the same size as Lee Chin, to an extent. Like, you know, Mike Casey, mm-hmm. Dan Morrissey, these boys, they're huge. So, it's a, like, we'll probably have a conversation over the next few weeks about teams not being able to compete physically with uh, with Limerick, you know. But at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm playing dev, devil's advocate for ourselves here. At the same time, you know, can we say that, that, I mean, Lee Chin would physically be able to ma- match up one-on-one with any of those. So what is the desired outcome? What's the desired state to get to? Mm. Like I, I'm, I'm saying this now with so, no scientific evidence whatsoever in front of me. I'm just saying <laughs> from, from an open perception where I'm looking at, yeah, yeah. you know, Sean Finn and Mike Casey with ACL injuries. You know, I'm looking at uh, Keen Lynch with a hamstring. I, I don't know, but just mm. maybe I'm asking the question and maybe a listener can come in and tell us, yes, it's a contributing factor when you go over an X percentage you know, of of uh, waist to height ratio, whatever you want to call it. But mm. I, because if I go down that rabbit hole, I could be here for <laughs> a month. Yeah, I, I think the one thing I have to circle back to, and lots of these injuries, is just that the, the the pure speed that the game is being played at the moment, and how quickly players are being asked to change directions. Bastard! Fucking <laughs> <laughs> oh, bastard! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> bastard uh, <laughs> I think uh, probably those on video will get to keep that this might disappear in the audio version of the podcast so if you're watching this on YouTube this is a, an added benefit um, that happened under your camera is that your pint glass gone? Yeah, so, so I hit the I hit the card my, my fucking oh, that's unbelievable <laughs> and ding then the microphone fell, which brought the pint glass, which landed on the floor, which oh. went into my laptop case and on my charger. That that's that's Lord G. Okay, I'll stop. Anyways, continue, boys. I can. Keep- I'm actually. I'm just delighted that I didn't have to put my foot in it to make a point to some strength and conditioning fellow who's pulling his hair out there, saying, "God, he doesn't know what he's talking about." So <laughs> smashing the glass off the ground is a great way to get get around that. Jeez, the sound of that's a scale. Maybe you didn't hear it now. You were in the midst of it, but that sounded brilliant. You know the phrase, you've got to keep your composure. You know, that's, yeah. that's, that's where I'm at right now. I'm trying to maintain a level of composure. I can't say what I want to say. I'm surrounded in glass, so I can't move. Okay. But you've, you've said it several times anyway. Sorry. Sorry, I apologize. Okay, well, don't, don't go near the glass. Uh, so the situation Claire are in now, uh, so three games played, two wins, one draw, same as Kilkenny. Five points on the board. Claire have got awfully in their last game, which they would expect to win as well. So almost certainly Claire are now looking semi-final bound and also they're going to be in Division 1A for next year. So you, you would think, Murph, it's a case of job well done for Claire so far. Um, yeah, like in fairness to them, um, 
Like Claire, Claire are building that momentum that we're speaking about. Um, like again, okay, draw at the weekend, but like a tough game. Um, they didn't deal with the breeze too well when it, when it was in their favour, but that's actually something that, and we've spoken about it previously, where uh, sometimes when there is a, a really strong breeze playing on your back, some teams don't deal with it too well because they end up taking a few bit of pot shots and different things like that. Now, not, not necessarily clear we're at that, but sometimes it suits the team a bit better to actually play into the breeze. But like, there's a great kind of consistency about Clare at the moment as well, where you know David Fitzgerald was just you know he was so strong there, um, popping up with a few scores, just looked really powerful, and they're able to cope now at the moment as well with uh, when they have to rest players or you know maybe players have injuries that they're still able to consistently perform, and that's something that we're talking about other teams there that we're we're worried when they have injuries, we're we're, we're kind of worried. But Clare are actually in the groove at the moment that they appear like that they can go. You know what? We have a few injuries, or we need to rest lads. That's no issue. Um, like even Aidan McCarthy, again, he had a slow start to the league in the first game. Uh, I know about that because I had him in my fantasy team and he just didn't, he didn't score. And then, you know, Murphy's Law take him out and he'll start scoring. But again, like they do have scoring threats around the field as well. So look, Claire will be happy with where they're going. Um, they're getting to rotate a good few players, getting lads in and, you know, still getting the results they need. And like, you know, going on to Wexford Park league game, that's a tough place to go. So I think they'll be happy enough with where they are after a few games that they're happy with their progress so far. Yeah, uh, so the other game was in Division 1A, which I was keeping an eye on, was Kilkenny against Offaly. So Offaly got themselves into a really good position within this game. So uh, they were 14 points to 8 up at halftime, albeit having played with a gale wind. 8 points from Owen Cal, he was uh, putting the freeze over. Kilkenny couldn't really get any kind of flow going in the first half. I think they only had one run where they scored two points in a row. Offaly were working remarkably hard. Again, we got to see Adam Screeny against Mikey Butler. Second time round, Adam Screeny had a better day than he did for Kilcormac Lai against O'Loughlin Gales. He had uh, Butler scrambling around a little bit during the game, but it was an interesting tussle between the two players. You wondered if 14 points state was going to be enough at half time. Uh, Kilkenny got back in, regrouped at the break incredibly well. And they had this 12-15 minute period just after half time where they went to town. And on Cody, when he puts the ball into the net, when a lot of other players would have probably went for a point, this was 12 and a half minutes into the second half. Kilkenny had gone from 14 points to eight down to leading by one goal in 18 to 15 points. So it was just this blitzkrieg at the start of the second half from Kilkenny. Awfully kind of fought back then a little bit and Kilkenny won by seven points in the end. But it was a far, far better second half performance from the host. There were a few groans from uh, the crowd in Nolan Park during the first half when they were making mistakes, type of mistakes that uh, they can't afford to make when they play against better opposition. But here's the thing, Skell, from Offaly's point of view, doesn't matter if it was because Offaly were playing well or because Kilkenny were playing badly in the first half. Offaly have now put incredible performances against Waterford, against Wexford, and now against Kilkenny. So when you come up from Division 2A into this top flight where there's a lot of the best teams in the country around, I think my county will probably be happy enough with how they've done so far. Yeah, I think I think with some counties, let's say, if you've got you know an average age of 24, 25, whatever it is, and they've been up and down in leagues, you know, sometimes we'd expect them to uh, contest a game, then slip back and get hammered and contest a game. But what, what's happened here now is there's been an injection of youth with the under-20s. So I think by my count yesterday, there was about six of them that featured um, versus one for Kenny. Was Drennan the only guy that's under 23 for Emer? 
Timmy Clifford was. I think Tim Clifford is under twenty. So, yeah, yeah. My, my my point being is that it's it's very it's a very good showing off his behalf when you've got under twenties who are able to you know mix it and the longer that they get uh, I suppose left if you like in the team the better off they get. So I think you you won't see the fruits of the labour this year because they have to learn and there's, there's 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 a period of time where they have to you know get accustomed to this level. But they're really they're, they're doing well. Like if you look at like Ravenhill as I said, Mitchell, Screeny, Bourke, Troy, all these lads are are not being found out. That's the first thing. And they're contributing. Now, th- th- their levels will go up. Do you know what I mean? So, like, and all it takes is for a group. So, everyone will, will point towards the awfully underage. <clears throat> That's fine. But I'm pointing to that mo- awfully under-19 team, if you want to call it that, if you know, if you know what I'm saying, 19-20 team, whereby there's about 17 or 18 players in that group that, that can actually be taken, kept together, moulded, and then formulate, you know, a senior team for years to come. So, you don't need an injection of youth from 14s, 15s, to come but if you get a good group like you've got, and it just seems like Offaly have taken, you know, the nucleus of that group, put on the senior team right now. Next year there'll be a couple more, and so on and so forth. And then you could be back back at the top table very soon. I don't think. Uh, sorry, I, I mean this disrespectful. Not that you could be back. They will be back at the top table. I'm cocksure that it's go, it's going to happen. That it'll happen in, you know, the next eighteen months or so. So I think it's good times for Offaly. They've got to keep on the shoulder of the wheel. It's not. It's not. The work isn't done. If you know what I mean. It has to, it's a, it's a continuous process, but certainly the future's bright. Yeah, the Silver Cork and Clare. So there could be a couple of rough days to come before the end of this league campaign. But again, at this stage, the fact that they haven't been blown away by anyone is a pretty good sign so far. <laughs> Sorry. I, a, go on. My wife just texted me, what was the bastard fucking bastard for? Your good wife is now guaranteed we have to leave the smash of the glass into the audio recording as well. Or people are going to oh, wonder, sorry. Well, what was this, I wonder? So, I have to be <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's staying in. Um, Murph, I suppose, from Kilkenny's point of view, they have to take something from the fact that they did hurl as poorly as they did for the first 35, but then were able to actually regroup at half-time and put in that kind of killer third quarter in the game. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, what I actually really enjoyed about Derek Ling's interview was uh, when when he was asked... You know, was there choice words in the dressing room at halftime? A lot of other managers say, "Ah, oh, no, you, you know, we left it on to the players and so on." Now he did say that to an extent, but he was like, "Yeah, there was, there was, there was choice words." <laughs> He's sweeping up the glass at the moment. Ah, oh, Jesus! He could have muted while doing this, but anyway, go on. He could have scale. Can you mute? No, I can mute. Him. Okay. Hold on. You might have to edit that part of it. Can continue there. Um, but yeah, like I mean, look. I suppose what Derek will be disappointed with from the first half is that it showed a mental frailty that they didn't just go out and attack into the game. You know, mental frailty that they didn't show against Westmead last year, for example, down in Old Park. They just went into the game, did what they needed to do, get out of it. And like those games are dangerous. You, you get drawn into that and you presume that you're going to go out and just turn it on. You know, I've been in that position before. I'd say probably every player has been in that position before where they go into those games and suddenly they can't get the momentum back. Now, thankfully, Kilkenny did. But at the same time, like you said, like I was really impressed with Charlie Mitchell. Like, you know, he started really well, got his goal in the second half as well. You know, so there's a lot there. You could see the the, the gale force wind as well. Killian Kylie's point from his own D from the puck out. I mean, like, you're not going to hit them every day. But um, look, Kilkenny will be disappointed. But, you know, you can point to... Wexford as well, I think they were drawn into something as well. It's not to play down Offaly's performance, but maybe gave the first 10 or 15 minutes up because they didn't come to the pitch again the same way Offaly are. But you have to give credit uh, to Offaly that they're they're attacking into these games straight away. Like they were disappointed with the Waterford one. They didn't go into the Waterford game really straight away, hammer and tongs as they have against Wexford and Kilkenny. 
But I think now in the break week, they'll be saying, right, lads, well, fair play. Our, our stock is rising here and we've corrected some of the mistakes. We started off against Waterford and we've brought them forward. So they'll be happy with it. But, you know, definitely Derek coming into this break week, we'll be saying, look at lads. And he's rotated players. He's given players a lot of chances. But the likes of Walter Walsh coming on, you know, he'll be pointing back to a few of the younger lads who are getting chances saying, lads, Walter Walsh came on, you know, contributed there. And it was some of the older lads again that were, that were you know, obviously you're relying on own Cody, Adrian Mullen getting six points, one from a free, five from play, Billy Drennan again. So like, you know, he'll be able to use that, I suppose, to the younger players to say, look, lads, if you want to be on this team, there's an opportunity. And for some of you, it might be an opportunity missed. So um, I think Derek Ling will, will certainly use his ammunition against the lads, particularly that you're going to be facing Clare in the next game. Yeah. Do we take it as a given at this stage, Paul, that we won't see TJ Reid until Championship? Because mm. Kilkenny probably will get to a league semi-final here. So maybe there's another couple of weeks to be had after the regular section. But do you just wait till the round robin before using them now? I think so. Yeah, I, d- I don't see the major gains to be gotten there. Um, I think TJ is just timing his run with this one. Um, and and again, we, we spoke of Key Roster there saying that Lee Chin knows his own body and, and that's what the call was made. I think what we're seeing here also is is TJ saying that. You know, he's racked up serious miles and I'm, and I'm given the additional miles there of, of Ballahale having competed in so many Club All-Irelands. And I think TJ at the moment is just going, OK, I know my own body. I know it works for me and I know what will get the best out of me. Because at the end of the day, the round robin is the main thing is the the next main goal at the moment hmm. so I think they are just time to run I yeah, I don't think that we'll see TJ you might see one one game maybe towards the end of it just to shake off the cobwebs maybe 40-45 minutes but um, I think from, from the indications we can see with Kenny at the moment it seems to be a case of okay well let's have TJ fresh for the league or fresh for the round robin uh, series and um, and we're not too concerned about getting him out in the league here at the moment yeah, uh, so moving on to Division 1B scale, Limerick 3.30, Dublin 1 goal in 18. So again, Limerick are just such an imposing team when they come to Crow Park. <clears throat> I think they got 52 shots off during the game, which indicates just how much shot and uh, chance creation was going on there. So again, Dunnick O'Dolig has been scoring goals throughout the league campaign. He puts the ball in the net in the first minute, which kind of set the tone, really. It was 18 points in the end. He scored a second goal during the game as well. And Tom Morrissey also hit the net. He got 1-4 from play during the match. And Adam English also got 8 points. So they shared the scores around a bit. They were able to work some players back into the team obviously there's been quite a talk about a bit of talk about the fact that uh, Kyle Hayes played before his sentencing and they also had I think first minutes for six different players uh, during the uh, league that came in this game as well so this was a big change from the teams that played the first couple of rounds but the one that probably stands out because he made the team of the week as well Skell was Carl O'Neill having to go in at six so David Reedy I think picked up an injury late in the week uh, Declan Hannon's not back yet and maybe this speaks to what we've said for the last couple of years about guys can slot into this system that Carl O'Neill, a natural, flashy scoring forward, ends up playing at six and all seems to be fine. Uh, yeah, but I, I think you're right. Like A lot of people can slot into this team and, and will survive um, because the supporting cast is so, is so good with Like sometimes I look at teams that play Limerick and like when the opposition have the ball, they often do more damage to themselves <clears throat> than Limerick have it because look at some of Dublin's uh, concession yesterday. It all came from unforced errors of turnover that Limerick just capitalised on and, and seized upon it, you know. And as teams that, that play Limerick and they can't execute the ba- I won't say the basic skills, but they can't execute some of the skills that that uh, that Limerick can at such a high level. And when we talk about like a ball, passing a ball to hand on the run over twenty yards, there is no team that comes within the NASA's role in Limerick because they're so good, they're so efficient. 
They've had numerous instances whereby they can score from a puck out, seven or eight passes up the field without the ball touching the ground. They're just so efficient and good at it. But other teams try beat Limerick at the same game, but ultimately they can't because they just haven't got the efficiency or the excellence. It's, and it's that simple. But So when you, you slot in Cotter Neal into that kind of system, you know, he's able to, to survive. And like we're, we're talking about top-class hurler. And like if you're trying to find a position for him, naturally you and I will look at him and say, well, it's in the forwards. But I don't know where he's going to go in the forwards now. Like I don't know who he's going to replace because of the calibre of player he's up against. So is it a case he's trying to fit him in the team you know, or trying to find different spots from him? Who knows? Like, look, look what he's doing with Kyle Hayes. And that happened at a time where we all thought he was one of the premier forwards of the country. So I don't know how the minds of, of, of John Kyle and his, and his management team are working, but certainly they pulled an ace out there, put Cotter Neal in a six, and he survived just fine. Mm. So Limerick's position now, six points from their first three games. These would have been the three they would have been expecting to win. So they still have Galway and Tipperary to come in their two games after the break. Tipperary also in six points, three wins from three. Galway have got two wins, one defeat. Their defeat came against Tipperary. So Tipperary and Limerick are in pole position to qualify for the top two spots. But crucially, you want to make sure you're in the top three in 1B this year to ensure that you're going to be in Division 1A for next season. Dublin have got a bit of work to do now. Uh, they do have a win against Antrim already. They still have to play Westmead. So from their perspective, Galway and Westmead... I don't know if four, four points is going to be enough. You would think the Galway will probably beat Dublin, so Dublin will be in most likely the newly formed Division 1B next year. So uh, that's where they kind of stand at this stage. The thing about it is, Paul, I guess if you're Dublin, you probably point to the fact that some important players came back. So Donald Burke, uh, kind of horribly for him, had to miss Nafina's fairy tale run with the hamstring injury that he picked up. Chris Crummy was back in his first game in over a year. We still have to wait. I think Owen O'Donnell is out for a few more weeks. But slowly but surely, that kind of panel is improving, which is probably the most important thing for Dublin right now. It is, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a glimmer light at the moment because um, really, I suppose, when you're when you're looking at Dublin's last few performances, the only thing you could look at to say that is going to send them in the right direction in some form or another is getting back a few of those names as you just mentioned. Like, I mean, particularly Donald Burke. I mean, for the last few years, he has been just the man that has been getting the scores and making them tick and he's you know he's just this Rolls Royce of a player he, you know he's outstanding but to get a few of those lads in like you know I mean Chris Crummy for example as well like you know when he's one of those lads similar to a Liam Rush type player where you know he can influence the game a huge amount and he can he can be involved an enormous amount as well so look um Dublin Dublin will certainly wel- welcome back uh, these d- the big names because they really need it at the moment. It was a, just a lacklustre performance against the Limerick team. I don't think anyone had huge expectations for it. But, you know, when they see how much they just stood off Limerick and just let Limerick go through the motions, you just knew that, okay, um, this is just going to be one of those nights where, I mean, if you stand off Limerick, whatever chance you have, but just standing off them and let them get their heads up and let them pop balls around, I mean, that's what they're good at. So, um, look, if there's any if there's any sort of glimmer of hope going into a round robin for Dublin, it's getting a few of these players back and getting them in, injecting them into the team as quickly as possible. Two ways of looking at the game that happened in Semple Stadium. On the one hand, you've got to give Westmead a lot of credit. They fought this right down to the end of the game. And it was only really a fumble from Noel Connolly when there was a pressure on him that led to an own goal. They gave Tipperary a little bit of a buffer right at the end of the game because Westmead had come roaring back at them. On the other hand, Tip win 325 to two goals and 21. And when there was about 20 minutes left, 
Tipperary were up by 14 points and have been in control. Two wonderful goals from Mark Kyo. For anyone who didn't see it, I think it was the second goal that happened previously in the space of the minute where Tipper just like flicking passes around before it comes back to him. He puts it in. I think he got a bit of a knock, so he came off at half time as a precaution. I haven't heard that the injury is bad. Um, but that showed like Tip were in control, having made a host of changes to their team. It was 14 changes from the game against Galway getting a bit of game time into some of their older players like Dan McCormick and Noel McGrath. We had Ford on the pitch for the first time this year. Uh, they also gave uh, some young players a chance like Sean Hayes. We saw Cahill Quinn playing for Mary Eye in the Fitzgibbon. David Kelly came in to get some uh, game time as well. So Cahill was kind of mixing it up a little bit within the game itself. But the other storyline coming out of this is how well David Williams is scoring. So Westmead got Killian Doyle back onto the pitch during the game. So that's a huge boost for them. Uh, also, after the game, Joe Fortune said Angus Clark, who's a very important player, is back in training and he's nearly back to fitness too. And looks like Davy Glennon might well be back after the break. So slowly but surely, they're getting some of these injured players back in. But David Williams, again, he scored 2-12 and he had a penalty saved by Rhys Shelley as well. So he was unlucky not to come off the pitch with three goals and 12 points. Niall Mitchell, bearing the square at this stage, he's very effective when they go in a bit longer and he's there to try and win primary possession. And this is a Westmead team who could well have just downed tools with 20 minutes to go, taken a beating and moved on. But a bit like the Limerick game, they stayed in it with a few minutes to go. So while lots of bright spots for Tipperary with the way that they hurled, and at the same time, Paul, Westmead have to be very happy with the way they've played, particularly against both Limerick and Tipperary in back-to-back games now. Yeah, um, look, we, we, we've spoken about Westmead over the last few years. Um, I suppose grinding out moral victories for, for the most part, but like they just do have these, you know, they do have players there that are, you know, still putting in really good performances, which can't be easy, you know, when maybe you're not getting the results you want, or obviously it's going to be easier when you're winning. But you know, there's a remarkable scoring that that is happening within that Westmead team, uh, and and you know. We, we we have in all stages been hard on Westmead. If anything, we've praised them quite a amount. But I I, I I don't think he can harp on it enough, really. Just, I suppose, the bravery and the courage. They're going out each week and they're really putting in performances. And there's markers there. You know, Skettle mentioned it there previously and other times that, you know, markers, what can you come off the field with, even though you don't get the victory, but you can come off the field and say, well, like, that's, that's you know, that's a serious marker. That's serious individually there's a few players there that are just constantly showing up and it's disappointing that a few players stepped away from the panel from their own point of view this year that you know a more consolidated panel and you'd wonder where the Westmead team could go but look certainly um, they, they have they have players there and like I even go back as far as when Kenny played them last year in um, inside Nolan Park you know it was a terrible day but I'm fairly sure the full back line kept Kilkenny's full forward line scoreless. Like there was all these things that you were going, that's an outstanding achievement considering there's not maybe much expectation in this game today. But Westmead keep turning out these, these, these markers that you're just going, you know, if they get this right one of the days, there's potential there for them to get traction. And like we, we've seen it. We've seen big victories down below Wexford Park. Um, you know, we've, we, we, we've seen them really perform well. So, look, it's maybe not the pat on the back that Westmead want. They want results. But at the same time, you know, you do have to tip your hat to them and say, like, you know, there is, there's, there's flickers there of just, you know, really great achievements for, for them. Mm. Liam Carlson with the fact that he won silverware for Tipperary this season. 
the league is very much there as a viable option. So three wins from three. The fact they've beaten Galway and Dublin, so they've got head-to-head over both of them already. With those three wins on the board, I know they still have to play against Limerick, but Tipperary are very well placed to qualify both for 1A and also for the semi-finals. You'd say they nearly have a foot and a half into the semi-finals already with the way the results have gone. So uh, Tip moving along nicely. I'm going to put a contention to you, Skell, that a few people have been saying about Galway. Now, Galway win by 25 points against Antrim and... Kind of all indications are this is a very difficult league campaign with the way things have gone from Antrim so far, even losing the goal against Dublin. But there is this kind of feeling out there that Galway go and hammer the teams around them who they should be beating, but maybe they don't put in the performances against the better teams in the league. How do you respond to that? Um, I respond in agreement. You know, like I, I've never, we never have a situation whereby we have a, a perceived slip up against opposition that would be classed as, you know, inferior. I don't mean that to say in a bad way, but mm. you'd never see us slip up against um, Leash, Westmeads, you know, Antrim. Car- they just don't. They're, they're usually very, very clinical in their performances. So, um, and I, I think it comes down to kind of fluency in the game and, and, and the confidence thing. You know, that they, it's like they know the result before they go out, and it, it's hard for me to explain this because. There's like not that there's a safety net, right? But these games, like all oh, we are so used to playing them over the course of the years, that, that they know. Look, they're only going to go to win. It's just it's the case of how much you know what I mean. And no matter what the team throws, yeah, you'll have a day every now and then. I remember a league game against Antrim, you know, in 2018. There was a game against Kerry in 2019. You know what I mean? Different areas whereby you you're put under a bit of pressure, but ultimately you come out. Then you play the top opposition. You know what I mean? Where you need your your full complement of players, and there's often times we don't have them. And even we do, let's say that sometimes whereby it's it's only the league. You know, maybe a touch for blase attitude, and whereby it's championship only. So, I I don't say it's a concern. It's not a worry, but I I, I do agree with people who who especially in the league anyway, that they say that we we canter through these type of games and then struggle to play the big teams. So like you're talking about Tipperary there, it's hard for me to see how we qualify for semi final without winning out. We have to win out. You know, at this stage yeah. we have to come away by beating all, uh, both Dublin and Limerick and hope that Tipperary then will beat Limerick also. You know what I mean? So we catch them on the head to head Limerick specifically. So it and. As I stand here right now, I I have confidence in us beating Dublin, but I'm just not sure about Limerick. <laughs> straight straight up, you know what I mean? Like I I need to see us. There's lads who have come back into the Galway squad over the last fortnight who who had who had prolonged breaks for different reasons. You know what I mean? You know you're looking at like said Whelan back from Australia. Joe Coney just returned two weeks ago. Thomas lads are only just back. Carl Manning is, is is on the the comeback trail. He said Dahi's only back two weeks. So I don't think we have the the, the even when I say the mileage, just just the the work put in just yet. Um, for us to contend with Limerick. I, we'll, we'll certainly be competitive and certainly be physical, but are we going to win the game? I can't say with a huge degree of confidence we are. Mm. But I, I'm looking for performance. But um, yeah, league, league performances over the last couple of years, Will, haven't been great. You know, overall, I'm saying, overall, haven't been great. Yeah, uh, direct up the scores, obviously. Uh, I forgot that there was no transfers this week in Fancy Hurland. I got up on Saturday morning and went, oh, I'm locked in with the players I have, even with a few injured players. But Evan Nyland did fine. He was my captain. He scored 13 points. Uh, Jason Flynn got goals in uh, each half as well. And Tom Monaghan, Connor Cooney, 10 points between them. So Galway, we're uh, really opening up on Antrim there. Speaking, uh, speaking of fantasy, Les, what's the crack like? Where are you? Uh, I, I believe you're doing quite well, Skeller. So I can't even see you in my rear view mirror anymore. Great fella. Murph, I'm looking for you. I can't see you, Murph, in the top 10. I can't see you, Will. Uh, I wouldn't uh, say I am in the top 10, to be honest. Actually, I, I'll change that to Murph, Will. I can't see you in the top 20. Oh, no. Change Wait, again. Can't see you in the top 30. Oh, what's that? We're out of time on the pod. How unfortunate. <laughs> I know. Um, I'm going to give you credit, Skell. It appears that you've done very well and you forward planned quite a bit for your team as well. And it's paying off. 
Um, and I will admit, normally I like to take the credit, but I will admit there is a huge element to look in this. Because I did, <laughs> I did forget there was a transfer this week. <laughs> so, so I got lucky in the weeks previous. Yeah. I'm uh, currently occupying second, Murph, in the hurling pod. There's a Gerald, Gerald Griffin from uh, Michael Cusex, who's ahead of me by 60. Oh God, he's a good bit ahead of me. Wow. He has to be doing, he has to be one of the best in the country at the moment. Then. Gerald Griffin, he's he's on 794. So let's, where is that now nationally? Let's have a, let's have a look. Look. Well, I'm 45. I'm going to have to check in here. I'm 45 nationally. I'm going to check Will now. You're fifth. I'm 45. And Will is 133. That's not bad. Scale's fifth no. overall. Yeah. Yeah, Gerald Griffin's actually number one. That's incredible. Well, I'm glad that we were home to two people in the top five in the country right now. What's the prize? <laughs> I have I've, I've no idea. I'm sure we can find something. Uh, there's definitely a few bits and pieces that I have around. I've... You can have a smart slitter, um, whoever wins, and maybe a jersey or something. I have no idea. Noel Gallagher is seventh. Hardly do Noel Gallagher, is Hardly it? Hardly Oasis, Noel Gallagher. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. A fan, Man, uh, a fan of Man City and also um, <laughs> Fancy Hurling. Just to finish up, I want to give a mention because a few lads were saying last week, oh, you didn't give enough attention to 2A. Well, 2A at this stage now. Carlo are pretty much into the final after their win against Leash. I was listening to this game in the radio on Saturday evening. And uh, yeah, I mean, Carlo really, really opened up on them. So 123-21 to 21 was the full-time score. But realistically, Carlo were much further ahead during the game. 10 points up in the middle of the second half. Uh, Murph and myself both picked Martin Cavan in our team last week. He was sending over the freeze all night as Carlo were very much on top. Uh, Leash will now need to beat Kerry and Mead if they're going to finish in the top three and get into a league final. And of course, for the top two teams in 2A this year, you'll be in 1B for next year. Uh, the big changeover in Leash is the fact that Brian Horgan, who is their hurling coach, has now left the setup midway through the league amid speculation that the team weren't happy with the training. So it looks like during the break, they're now going to have to change around their backroom team. I think Eamon Jackman will probably become the main hurling coach. So that's Dan Shanahan gone at the end of last year. And now Brian Horgan, who was brought in to replace him, has now left. So Leash in a little bit of disarray and they've got a bit of work to do because Kerry kind of came back to a little bit of form. Uh, so Kerry now move on to two points. So they're two points behind Leash, down or just behind Leash uh, on three points, albeit Leash have already beaten down. But uh, Shane Conway, who was picked last week by Skell, back in the team, one goal and nine points in Kerry's win against Mead. So this division now looks very tight. So Carlos sitting pretty, six points. Leash on four, down on three, Kerry on two, Mead on two, and Kildare, the beaten finalist from last year, propping it up on one. So at the moment, you would think that Carlo are probably going to qualify, but it's a, a right old fight to see who's going to finish up in the 2A final with them. So interesting to see what happens there. That is our lot for the first pod, lads. Scale, you've got all the glass picked up? I'm not sure. To be honest, I won't know until I stand up. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so listen to the members pod later in the week to find out if Scale lacerated his foot, his arm or his hand when he was trying to get past the glass uh, to check everything out. Paul Murphy, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a million. Thanks very much, lads. Right. See you Has for the members pleasure here, no? uh, Well, I don't know. I mean, you swore, here, no? you, you swore quite a bit, which yeah. is probably good for the swear jar. Actually, hold on. Before we do leave, is there any more on where your destination might be for your holiday? Um, for next year, is it? No, for this year, there's three booked, isn't there? Oh, so where she wants us to go? She wants us to go to that, that place, uh, Central Parks, is it? Oh, right, okay. And then I, so, I, you're not, so you're not getting on a plane then, obviously. Right, that's no, good news. So at least no, you get to stay okay. in the country. I'm no, looking forward then, to hearing about the kids going around Centre Parks. Go on. And then she's some nice estate down in, there's like a, is there a nice estate in Clonmel or somewhere tip? 
lovely estate down there. Sure, we can look it up. Yeah. yeah, it's like like don't you have like a Mount Julius, Julius, one of the places or Farnham, one of the places. This is another mm. place, Tipperary. I came from the name of it. I mean, St. John Allen Nolan's recommendation as well. Goalkeeper to goalkeeper. He was uh, he, he was very confident about his decision to or go wherever he went. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so I'll send John his recommendation as well. Send John, I mightn't read now, it. It, looks, <laughs> <laughs> it looks like you'll have to get on a flight, so I don't know. But No. I won't do it for I'm scared. I'm scared for at least 24 months. I can't do it. I, can't I, think, do it. You can, I think you can load up the car and go to Clamel or go to Longford. That's not necessarily going to be a problem. So yeah, we'll, we'll find out more in the third location. Did you not find out what the third one was, no? No, she has it. She's, she, like, she, she's a bit... Um, you know, she kind of does things. If She won't ask me first for fear I say no. So she just mm-hmm. does it anyways. So then I'm, I have to be, you know, I have to come along. So I, I can't say no to her because happy wife, happy lifeless. I keep saying it and it's true. I, I'd call that wisdom on both your parts. Lads, thanks a million. OTB's The Hurling Pod. With Ford Gosh Energy. Proud sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship.